0: at EricssonCovenant.ca Let's get started.
1: Well, let me kick it off with some riddles. Are you ready for this? You love riddles, don't ya? Some who am I riddles? All right, here he is. I have a heart that never beats. I have a home that never but never sleep. I take a man's house and build another. I love to play games with my many brothers. I'm a king among fools. Who am I? King of hearts in a deck of cards. All right. All right. How about this one? A father's child, a mother's child, yet no one's son. Who am I? A daughter. a daughter. Wow, that was quick, Joe. That was quick. How about this one? I dig out tiny caves and store gold and silver in them. I also build bridges of silver and make crowns of gold that are the smallest that you could imagine. Sooner or later, everyone needs my help, but many people are afraid to let me help them. Who am I? A dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Carl, you were kind of quick with that one. How many crowns of gold do you have? Yeah. Yeah, That's great. All right. Well, how about a few Gollum riddles? Any Lord of the Rings fans here? Remember how in The Hobbit, Bilbo was faced down in the dark with a fearsome Riddler? So courtesy of Smeagle himself, how's this one? What has roots as nobody sees, is taller than trees? Up, up it goes, and yet it never grows. A mountain. Jen, you're on. You're Lord of Rings fan. I saw that cheer over there. Uh, we just got closer. We just got closer. How about this one? Voiceless, now you can't answer these anymore, Jenny. Voices, Voiceless it cries, wingless flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters. Who am I? Wind. Olin, did you get that one? Yeah, good. All right, one more. Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. A fish. Yeah. Who am I? And while these riddles are hard to answer, some of them, at least for those of us untrained in the lore of Middle Earth, perhaps the greatest riddle of all is actually that simplest of all questions right at the very end, who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Because how we answer that riddle determines our very lives. How we live them out. Identity shapes destiny there's no more significant question no more fearsome riddle than this who are you look around the room for a moment and just riddle that with him just ask a few people near you who are you anyway who are you who am i Our identity shapes our destiny because our identity shapes our self-perception, the way we see ourselves. And whether that self-perception is right or wrong depends largely on whether or not we believe the truth about ourselves or lies about who we are, who we think we are, of course, shapes the very trajectory of our lives, where we go, where we head. How is your identity formed? This is a very significant question, actually, something you might want to chat about with a spiritual friend, maybe at your small group maybe with a spiritual director, because we've all been shaped by the words of our father, by the actions of our mother, by the circumstances of our early lives, the lies of our peers. Our identity has been shaped by accomplishments, setbacks, failures, tragedies, triumphs, lessons we've learned through hard times, and let's be honest, the things we should have learned but somehow kept missing We've been shaped by the people we have loved and we've been shaped by those who have loved us. Our identity is shaped by what we believe also. What we believe is actually true. Whether it is true or not is another question, but we've been shaped by what we think is really true about us, about this, about our world, about our history, about our humanity and our destiny, about God and his creation. Who are we indeed? Riddle me this, and you've got the answer to everything. And so today, as we continue in our master class through Luke's gospel, we now witness the launch of Jesus' public ministry. Just as Jesus emerges from obscurity to announce that God's kingdom has come in him, and that all the world is now going to be set right by him. Jesus shows up to be baptized by John, and the riddle or the answer, of his identity is front and center here at the very beginning. It's given the clearest of all possible answers. Today we're gonna to see how clearly Jesus is identified by his Father before he does anything for his Father. We'll see how the Spirit anoints Jesus before Jesus does anything messianic. And I hope we'll all see how clearly his identity then shapes our identity. By seeing Jesus clearly, we will begin to see ourselves more clearly as well. Would you join with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we want to see you more clearly, and I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to do just that. Steady our hearts and minds now so that we can receive what you have for us. Amen. Well, we're into the third chapter of Luke's gospel. I do encourage you to bring a Bible, open a Bible, do it on your phone, have the YouVersion app ready and loaded. Uh, There's also some uh, Bibles scattered around in the bottoms of your chairs, and you can just listen and I'll read. For those of you who are online, you might be able to just prop up a Bible right by the screen. Oh, that's awesome. But also in the chat bar on the right-hand side, where, you know, there's chat. There's also, if you look there, there's a Bible option. If you click on it, guess what? It's the U version. Anyway, um, you can access the Bible right there beside, um, beside the, the screen. So that's great too. Well, John has been calling people, as we learned last week, to turn around and to get right with God so that they will recognize the Messiah King when he actually shows up. And now he does. Luke doesn't say at this point whether anyone recognized Jesus in this moment, but as hearers of this story, we are supposed to recognize him. We're supposed to see clearly what's going on. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. The first part of this message today, let's be honest, will be a little bit class-ish. So pull out your notebooks if you want, Uh, but get ready to be (laughs) baptized. Get ready to be uh, taken through a few things. So I encourage you uh, to open up and listen. Here we are, 321. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Stop. You got to ask the question, right? Does anyone want to ask the question? Like, why? why? John has been calling people to repent, to receive a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Remember how he was starting off? He sees people walking toward him and he responds with what? You brood of vipers. You know, who want you to flee from the coming wrath? He's a super sensitive preacher. One of those real lovey-dovey types. John is laying it all out in very stark terms, but people are responding. They're coming to him. They're being baptized. And then, oh, look at that. Queued up. With the people is Jesus, who's sinless, who's perfect. Yeah, he's kind of like, what is he there for? Why is he in the line? Why does he want to get baptized? What is going on? Any ideas? Just don't, no wrong answer. Any ideas? What's going on? I'll, re- I'll repeat it for those who are online. Why is he getting baptized? An for us. Set an example for us. As a demonstration. Yep. What else? He's just following God's lead. He's just following God's lead. Yep. Hadn't had a bath in a week. No, that's not why get empowered with the Holy Spirit. There's lots of kind of questions like, why is he queuing up? Well, listen, when Jesus steps down into the water to be baptized, he does not do it because he needs to repent, because he needs forgiveness. No. Jesus is stepping down into the waters of baptism because he is stepping up as Israel's true representative. Jesus, in this action, but in his life, is catching up in himself the whole dramatic story of God's covenant people. All of God's promises to Israel are going to be fulfilled through this Jesus who is Israel's Messiah. All of Yahweh's covenant promises, all of Yahweh's future plans, all the unconditional commitments that he made to David or to Abraham or to Noah or to Adam or to Mary or to Joseph, all of them, every single one is going to be met and matched in Jesus But more than just the hopes and the promises, Jesus is also catching up all of Israel's faithlessness and frailty. Jesus, Israel's Messiah, is now gonna walk through all the places and spaces where Israel failed to keep the covenant that Yahweh made with them. And Jesus' Messiah is gonna be faithful on every count, on their behalf, faithful in their place, faithful to the covenant, faithful to the Father, even though his faithfulness will not let him off the hook, because this faithful Messiah is still going to go to a brutal cross and be executed there, suffering sin's curse and receiving into himself the death that Israel deserved for their faithfulness. Faithlessness, sorry. Jesus here at this moment is Initiating, beginning as the great high priest of Israel, and he's becoming the bridge, the mediator between God and humans. He's bearing in himself all the faithfulness and suffering in himself all the faithlessness of his people. By being baptized, Jesus is sealing his commitment for Israel. He's sealing his commitment to be for Israel what Israel failed to be and to be. For the father, what Israel never was, the faithful son. It's very, very important as we see Jesus lining up, that we see that it is in Jesus that Israel, God's covenant people, will finally succeed. And that it's in Jesus that God will finally fulfill all of his divine covenant promises. So why is Jesus being baptized? He is fully identifying with his people as he is fully identified with his father. But more than that, actually, it goes even further. As if that wasn't enough. He camped there for a while, sorry. Jesus was identifying with anyone who would hear the good news of his coming, who would on that day or some future day, like February 26th, 2023, would in the future hear, turn their hearts to him and trust Jesus, trust his life, trust his teaching, trust his death, trust his resurrection for themselves. When Jesus was baptized, he was baptized not only to identify with Israel, but to identify with you and with me. He was stepping up into our place as our representatives, to be baptized in our name, so that there would come a day when we could step up and be baptized in his. So thank you, Jesus, for getting baptized. And so what happened when Jesus was baptized? Well, it's one of the most profound moments in all of scripture. If we ever wondered, who is this Jesus? This passage is meant to clearly demonstrate, even put it to rest. Here is how it goes. As he was praying, Jesus was praying in the water, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you Are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, there is so much to take in at this moment. And I want you to soak in it, pun intended. Just soak in it for a moment. And listen to this passage again. As he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Let me highlight a few things so we can make sense of what's going on here. First, we need to see how this Baptismal declaration. What's happening here at this moment is a powerful revelation of God's triune identity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More than just Jesus's identity is being revealed here. Did you all see that? In this moment, we hear the Father speaking over the Son and the Spirit descending on Jesus. The enduring question of God's identity is revealed right here, and Christians have professed this from their earliest moments as the church was born, following the coming of the Spirit, have professed that Jesus is Lord, one with the Father, one with the Spirit, and that though there is only one God, God exists as a community of three divine persons, each of whom are fully God, each of whom are worthy of worship, and yet never in isolation from the other. Now, through the first few centuries of the early church, there were opponents who denied, usually focused on the divinity or the humanity of Christ. One or the other, That struggled with this, or they dismissed the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. And so heresies of a variety of forms popped up from some awesome words. Here's a few for you. Sabellianism, modalism, uh, docetism. And there were a variety of isms that all all attempted to somehow get around the fact of who Jesus was revealed to be. But faithful Christians searched the scriptures and reflected on the revelation of God in Christ and they emerged unanimous. There's one God who eternally exists in three persons, a divine community of self-giving, love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was in response to these various heretical pop-ups that the Apostles' Creed, was formed, or the Nicene Creed, creeds two creeds that we profess regularly on our communion Sundays. That's when they were formed in those first few centuries. Well here at the baptism of Jesus, all three persons of the triune God are in dynamic action. The Father is speaking and we know how powerful his speech is, right? Genesis one, the Father speaks and the world is created. The Son being identified now as the beloved Son of his Father and the Spirit of God descending on Jesus. A little more on that Next, but I just want you to see how the divine Godhead, the three in one, is revealed at this very moment. We don't confess as Christians that God is triune because we like to believe odd things or we're mathematically a little stupid or that we just like mystery. No, we confess it because this is how God revealed himself to us, a community of persons. That's what we witness to and worship in awe. And so, even as we begin to grapple with the riddle of Jesus' identity, we'll see that it's always expressed in relationship of a son with a father by the spirit. Paul later said in Colossians that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And here we see this fullness being celebrated. Second, we need to hear this baptismal declaration as the father's cheering on of his beloved son. What Jesus hears his father say here is steeped in covenant promise. It echoes, it takes all of what's come before. It echoes all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And in particular, it brings to the forefront two specific passages. The first echo you could say the father is drawing on is from Psalm 2. Now you can turn there if you want. We're gonna read it for just a moment. Psalm 2 Second of 150 was a coronation psalm, which was read when kings were anointed for their position. But if you read it, you can see that this coronation psalm would be a little, well, imaginative when applied to human kings. You read it and realize, yeah, well, that ain't going to happen with that guy. But that's because it pointed forward to the messianic king, who is coming. It points forward to uh, way beyond any normal king to the coming of Jesus. So as I read Psalm 2 for you, listen for the echo, okay? Listen for it. Here's how it starts. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their jackals. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Wow, okay, so that's a coronation psalm. Psalm two, read while kings were anointed and all of you hearing that, what was the particular echo you heard from Jesus' baptism? Give it to me. What'd you hear? Anyone? You are my son. Now I know some of you read that. And thought, really? That's it? That's the quote? That's like four words, probably blessed in Hebrew. No, that's it. That whole coronation psalm is being caught up in this echo. You are my son. Today I become your father. God is installing his king here at this baptism and this king is his son and he's giving this son, his king, the nations as his inheritance over which he will rule. It catches up Daniel 7. It catches up stuff all over the place. It's pointing already to the fact that Jesus is Lord and his sonship is central to his kingship. So Psalm 2 is echoed right in there. When, when, when the father says, you are my son, all of this is being drawn in. But wait, there's more. Psalm 2 then turns to echo, or rather, the Father's declaration turns to echo a second passage from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. See if you can catch the echoes in this one. Here it is. Here's my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his teaching. The islands put their hope. What's the echo there? Anyone? Did you hear it? It's right at the very top. Here's my servant, whom I hold my chosen one in whom I delight, Jesus is the promised servant of Isaiah, the chosen one in whom God delights. Now if you read the whole thing 43 you go on to 43, go on to 44 you 'll pick up quickly that this chosen servant thing seems to represent all of Israel and part of Israel, and then the Messiah, yeah, exactly. Which, furthers the point I made earlier that Jesus is stepping into the role as the true Israelite, as the representative of all. He's fulfilling this. He's the one who God delights in, the chosen one, and the one on whom the Spirit Rest. So and when you pull these two images together, the kingly son of the father and the chosen servant of delight, you're beginning to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is, of Jesus' identity. And what we hear is the father cheering over his son. Jesus comes through baptism. And I, I, I just, I know, we hear it sort of solemnly. You are my son. You know, we hear it kind of bland, but I, I, we got to cut that because what's happening here, you got to think of it. When Jesus comes out of the water, there's a roar of delight. This is the Father saying, You are my son. You are my son. You, you feel it? You're not feeling it at all. I can tell. He's shouting, You're the one. You're mine. I'm so thrilled that you are my son and I am your father. I'm so delighted in you. I'm behind you all the way, son. Go, son, go.
0: Go, son,
1: go. That's what's going on here. It's not some bland announcement. It's not that. This is the delighted cheer of a father who passionately loves his son who's behind him and his his delight in his son shapes his son's identity. Jesus looks and he knows who he is. He's the loved, chosen, delighted in son of the father. We gotta get this. Before we move on to the next point, can you see how this starts to inform our own cheering of Jesus? When I say cheering of Jesus, do you know what I'm talking about? Worship, praise, praise singing a song, that actually that's what we're doing. We're cheering on Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? When you gather with a group here to sing or to pray, what we're doing is we're essentially lining up as cheer to cheer. You're part of the cheer crowd. I know you didn't think of yourself that way, but you are. Because we look at Jesus and we really look at him. We begin to see him in action. We begin to see the way he connects with the Father and the way he's living his life and the way he understands the world. And we begin to understand who he truly is. We get caught up in the Father's delight. We get caught up in the Father's affirmation. We start to feel in us a little echo of what the Father is pronouncing here. And so that our words and our hearts and our songs and our silence are filled up by this delight of the Father, the wonder in this Son, because the Father's delight is contagious. So we come to say, Jesus, yeah! Go, Jesus, go! You know? Boy. Should we try that together? <laughs> I dare you. Next time you come to sin, you just say, Go, Jesus, Go! Go, Jesus, go just walk around, get a big thumb or whatever the finger, yeah, foam, I don't know. I'm not really a sports guy. All right. So third, we should witness in this baptism a moment, the Holy Spirit's anointing of Jesus. It's pretty obvious. There it is. Isaiah 42 tells us, right? I'll put my spirit on him. it's it's all over the place. Isaiah 11, a little earlier in the the book of Isaiah, another promise of a Messiah coming starts like this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That is referring to Jesus as a son of David, because David's dad is Jesse, okay? So it's all part of the line, the David's kingly line. So this shoot that springs up, this branch that bears fruit, verse two of Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit who hovered over those early creation moments when the Father first spoke His word and all was created, this same Spirit now descends upon the Word as the Father expresses His delight. And all of that as a way of saying, This is my Anointed One, my Christ, which means Anointed One in Greek, my Messiah, which means Anointed One in Hebrew. The Spirit anoints, the Spirit comes on Jesus and empowers him for the work of the Father that he's now beginning. And this moment, this is super important. Because everything that Jesus does after this flows from the Spirit's power. We're going to see that right following the Spirit. Takes Jesus in the wilderness and he's tempted. The Spirit comes out of the wilderness empowered by the Spirit. Every step of the way, the Holy Spirit is anointing this Messiah King who's empowered to make the world right again. To find that which is lost and restore it back to the Father's care. The Holy Spirit here who hovered over creation lands on Jesus and all of creation is reset in a new creation trajectory because of it. Now I know that's a lot and I know I tend to get slightly excited but coming to a clear point now, we're meant to understand here in this baptismal moment the true identity of Jesus as the beloved anointed son. All that Jesus says and all that he does is rooted in his identity. Who are you? People would ask Jesus. And if he was able to express it this way, he would say, I am a son of my father. In fact, in the gospel of John, that's his most common response. I'm the son of the father. I am anointed by the spirit. I've come to represent all of humanity to God and all of God to humanity. So the riddle of Jesus' identity is answered. He's a son. The son. But in case you miss Luke's point, Luke pulls out a second option for you. He wants us to see this, and so he gives us the good old genealogy. Yeah, I know. This is a section that's always a favorite for all of you new Bible readers, and let's be honest, it's a real favorite with the old Bible readers, too. I mean, what is the point of this big, long list of names? Well, for your edification and enjoyment, let me bless you this morning with a reading from God's holy word. And I want you to see, or I want to see what you notice. Here's it. So verse 23, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old. I'm just coming off the baptism here. When Jesus himself was about 30 years old, when he began his ministry, he was the son, so it was thought. Of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattath. The son of Simeon, the son of Josec, the son of Jodah, the son of jonah Joanan, the son of Resite, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of and the son of Almadam, the son of Er, son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonah, son of Eliakim, son of Meliah, the son of Menah, the son of Matathah, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Amminadab, son of Ram. Are you edified yet? Son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ruah, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah. The son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalal, the son of Canaan, Kenan, son of Enosh, son of Seth, son of Adam, the son of God. Now, all of you deductively gifted Sherlocks, what repeating word did you notice in that passage? Anyone? Thank you, Cameron. 76 times if you're counting. I did. Now, here's some disappointing full disclosure to you. The Greek doesn't even have the word son in it. It makes the list even tighter. It stitches every name together with a sing- single small article, one letter in Greek. It's an O with a H on top of it. So, literally, after saying son, it really does use the word "huios" in Greek. The son is so it was thought of Joseph. Then after that, it's just... Ho Heli, Ho Ho Levi. Like it's like that for 76 times in a row. It's listing these fellows, linking them together. Do you think Luke is trying to say something here? I know. I know. This is where you do a lot of your heavy devotional lifting. Who knew genealogies could be so insightful? But Luke is saying something significant here. He wants to show us that no matter how you trace it, Jesus' identity is rooted in his sonship, in the fact that he is a son. Whether it's looking straight up at the Father and seeing him as a son of the Father, whether it's tracing him back through son after son after son, generation after generation after generation as the son of his people, it all adds up to the very same thing. Jesus is the son of God who's come to represent Israel to God and God to Israel. His identity is found in his sonship and Luke does not want us to miss that. All right. Where do we land with all this? Are you wondering? This could be a huge Bible study, but here's the point we all need to get. Just as Jesus' identity is found in his sonship, our identity is rooted in sonship too. We see this story. We see Jesus baptized. We hear the Father speak over the Son. We see the Spirit descend on the Son, who is our representative Because through the work of Jesus on our behalf, starting here and continuing, through the gift of the Spirit that is given after Jesus poured it out, the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us, we now stand in the very same position as Jesus, as sons, male sons and female sons, I'll get to that in a moment, whom the Father loves and delights in and chooses and anoints. And this truth is at the very heart of the gospel message, right? The very essence of the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus stood in our name so we can stand in his, that Jesus took his identity and shared it with us. Now, about 15 months ago, I think, we spent a few months walking through one of the most epic chapters in all of scripture, Romans chapter 8. It was called living from the center. And we tried to understand what it means for us to live from this identity. I encourage you to go back, listen to it on YouTube if you want to dig back into that. But I want to draw your attention to a couple verses in the middle of Romans 8 because it takes everything we've heard today and it helps get at the truth of our identity in Christ. Romans chapter 8, 15 through 17 goes like this. The spirit you received, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, that is by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What we see repeated again and again and again, all throughout the apostolic letters, in Jesus and through the spirit, we are made sons of God along with Jesus, the son of God. That his identity is now shared with us And sons is very deliberately used here rather than the more generic word children to signal for us, remind us so that we read it more correctly that in the culture of that day, it was the sons that carried all the associated weight of inheritance, of authority, even of likeness. We know that sonship is, applies in this sense both to men and women that in christ there is no male female jew greek slave or free they're all one in christ this isn't a gender thing the sonship isn't a gender thing it's meant to convey the awesome truth that male and female we've been adopted into god's family so that we can look at the father of jesus christ and we can call him father too We can say Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. The same spirit uh, that rested upon Jesus has been given to us so that we now know that we are God's kids too. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. All of that so that when we look at Jesus here in Luke chapter 3, when we hear the Father express his delight over the Son and see the Spirit descend upon the Son, Because the full story has been revealed to us, we are able to hear this and apply it directly to us. That we stand and hear the voice of the Father expressing His delight and His love and His anointing and His choosing over us too. That this is our story. That in Jesus we were baptized. And so the Father looks at us and we hear Him say, You are my son, you are my daughter. I am well pleased with you. I love you. And his word over us then brings shape to our identity. And his word over us begins to chase out and root out and pull down all the lies that we've believed about ourselves. All the other words that have given shape to our life. Stuff your dad said. Stuff stuff your mom did. Nasty things your brothers and sisters said or did to you or failures or, or even the way successes have warped us, the hurts and sins that have told you you're something other than this. Every other identity marker falls flat before the Father's delighted words over you and the Spirit's coming to form you. I titled this message, What Every Apprentice of Jesus Needs to Know, and it is this. You need to know who you are in Christ as an accepted, beloved child of God. And that that becomes the unconditional foundation of everything else we do, our work, our play, our rest, our help, our service, our parenting, our relationships, our recreation, the way that we love or teach or coach or discipline. Our identity in Christ forms everything else in our lives. And so I wanna offer you a practice, a practice that you can take with you so that this can become a reality in your life. This is especially helpful for those of us who have a real misshapen identity because of formative times, formative people, tapes, as they call them, that we play, that tell us who we are that aren't true. But it's good for us all. This practice is where we simply sit and hear the Father speak these words over us and receive what the Spirit has for us. Remember earlier, a few weeks ago, we were looking at how Jesus grew in favor with God, and we we talked about that one of the habits that we need to develop in our lives so that we too grow in favor with God is simply spending time with the Father. Remember that? And we noted at that time how spending time with the Father was an established habit in the life of Jesus. And then a big part of that time spent with the Father was actually hearing these words, hearing the words of delight, the words of love, the words of affirmation from the Father, which formed the very identity of Jesus, and then he ministered out of that. This is an example of a time spent with habit or practice that you can integrate into your life. So the first aspect of this is to simply sit in quiet for a few moments with this message from the Father to find a moment or two to quieten your heart and mind and preferably your environment if possible and to let the Father's words simply wash over you. Repeat the word, uh, words slowly to yourself. The words of the Father who say, you are my daughter. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And to slowly, meditatively, hear those words being spoken over you. The words of Jesus now being applied to you, not as some weird thing, but because that's actually why Jesus came, so that that, that would be true of you and me. So that we would share in all of that. And so sit and let the Father speak over you. Let the Father detail for you all the ways that He delights in you. That can be very uncomfortable for us, especially very uncomfortable for those of us who feel terrible or struggle with shame or are constantly, um, our minds are constantly going over regrets or failures. To, to come to the Father and let his words of delight be spoken over you again and again and again. To take five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to simply let your heart and mind drift around these words, repeat them to yourself, write them out, journal them. But to let the delight of the Father begin to speak into your heart and your mind and drive out the lies, the other words that have shaped you. And as you sit with this message, as you hear the Father cheering over you, then to receive the Holy Spirit's anointing. We are told very clearly in Scripture that anyone who confesses Christ receives the Spirit. And we're able to say, Lord Jesus, we believe in you. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Anoint me again. Come upon me. Uh, Come into my life and witness to my Spirit that I am a child of God, which is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. But invite the Holy Spirit in. Maybe hold up your hands and just say, Holy Spirit, knowing that the Father delights in me. Would you fill me today so that my identity is solidified by you? And so you take maybe 15 or 20 minutes to let the Father's delight wash over you and then to receive what the Holy Spirit has for you. That is a beautiful practice that I promise you if you will commit to that kind of practice, particularly if you're a person who has really struggled with your identity in Christ or has really been hurt by false identities that have been um, forced upon you by others, to come back to this again and again, uh, to maybe even commit to a practice of doing this for a number of days and weeks, I promise you this delightful word of the Father over you And the gift of the Spirit given to you will begin to reshape your heart and mind so that your identity becomes much more closely aligned to the identity that Jesus wants you to have, wants to share with you. My friends, the more clearly we see Jesus, the more clearly we will see ourselves. One last riddle. Walks in freedom... Never condemned, loved by God, delightful and pleasing, filled by the Spirit, formed through the Son, and destined for inheritance beyond imagination. Who am I? You can just say you for now. But yes, all of us, you. I am. That's the question, that's the answer. I am a child of God. Let me say that again. Walks in freedom, never condemned, loved by God, delightful and pleasing, filled by the Spirit and formed through the Son and destined for inheritance beyond imagination. Who am I? Say it. It's me. That's me. That's me. I'm a child of God through Jesus Christ and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, I, because of Jesus, I am the one in whom the Father delights and with whom the Father is well-pleased and on whom the Father has gifted the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is absolutely awesome that here at your baptism, you stepped up for us. And that on this day, In 2023, we can recognize the power of your work on our behalf. And we can hear in the cheer of your Father over you this echo that goes out to include us too, because that was always your intention. That was always the plan. And so we celebrate you today. We cheer for you. We are so happy that you came for us to be for us what we couldn't be for ourselves. And so we bless you and thank you for your faithfulness. We delight in you too. And today, Lord Jesus, you know the hearts and minds of each one of us here, online, listening later. And I very simply want to ask that we would be reshaped by your identity. I pray in particular for those of us who have adopted or been deformed by words, actions, experiences from others or choices we've made that have warped and twisted the true us. You want us to be free. You want us to be full. And I pray In your name, Jesus, that you would bring such clarity to our hearts and minds that we would literally be reformed in who we are because of you and the work of your Holy Spirit. Would we each and everyone hear the words of your Father speaking delight and love and choice over us today and in the days going forward? And may we live from that identity just as you did. We pray this in the holy name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I hope and pray you are encouraged and that you leave here today walking a little lighter, ready for all that God has for you. I hope you can stay for coffee time, which is ready now. Um, And those of you who are online, have one on us. God bless you all. Thanks for being here today.
0: Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.